G'day folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, Andre's back with another deep dive into cybersecurity research. In this case, it is about a recent paper entitled Shedding Light on CVSS Scoring Inconsistencies, basically looking at a case study on how CVSS is used and how consistent those scores are, which is obviously really relevant to the Ubuntu security team and the general security community. So we will get to that a bit later on, but first we'll do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. So this week there were 77 unique CVEs addressed by the team and up first were the usual round of kernel security updates. I've talked about a lot of the vulnerabilities that are covered in these uh, previously, so we're going to go over these pretty quickly. So there was an update for uh, Raspberry Pi users on Ubuntu 20.04 LTS and 18.04, which is now in ESM. Uh, as I say, yeah, covered that previously. Uh, an update for Microsoft Azure Confidential Virtual Machine uh, Cloud Systems. That's uh, for Ubuntu 20.04 LTS uh, running 5.15 kernel. 5.15 kernel as well uh, for Raspberry Pi on Intel IoTG on Ubuntu 22.04 and 20.04 LTS respectively. Uh, Azure users on Ubuntu 20.04 LTS had a kernel update. Then we had a kernel update for the 5.15 kernel in 22.04 LTS, which uh, is for a heap of different uh, cloud platforms. So Oracle, GKE, Azure and AWS plus Raspberry Pi. Uh, that's also then provided as basically a hardware enablement kernel on older releases. So on 20.04 LTS, similarly the same kernel, but on IBM, Oracle, AWS, GKE and Azure. Uh, nine CVEs fixed for uh, the 5.4 kernel in 20.04 LTS, which again is also used on uh, 18.04 in this case for uh, Raspberry Pi, GCP and Azure. So the standard general availability kernel in 18.04 on Azure was also updated and that's then provided as a backport for 16.04 and 14.04. So you can run a 4.15 kernel in that case all the way back on 14.04 as part of Ubuntu Pro. Uh, the 6.2 base kernel in the current interim release, the Lunar Lobster 2304, got a bunch of updates as well, and that's provided as a hardware enablement kernel for 2204 LTS, so that uh, comes back there. And finally, uh, for users on IBM clouds, we've got uh, an update for 2004 LTS and 1804 for uh, 14 different CVEs rolled into that one. And that is it for kernel security updates. Uh, SOX then was updated, uh, the venerable uh, audio handling library and tools. In this case, uh, there was the ability to trigger a floating point exception through crafted content. So you could therefore trigger a crash and hence denial of service in uh, whoever was using SOX. Uh, and that goes all the way through from Ubuntu 23.04 uh, all the way back to 14.04. Then we had an update for Apache Shiro for a couple of different vulnerabilities. Uh, both of these were different authentication bypasses through crafted HTTP requests and uh, kind of ironic because the whole point of Shiro is to provide an, authentic an authentication and authorization uh, cryptography and session management platform. So yeah, not great to have an authentication bypass in that, but that has been fixed. PLib was updated uh, for some of our older releases. So 20.04 LTS, 18.04 and 16.04. This is the portable games library. Uh, it aims to work across a range of hardware and operating systems. Uh, it's used by a bunch of different games in the Ubuntu archive like Torx and Flight Gear and others. In this case, there was an integer overflow that could lead to a buffer overflow through a crafted uh, TGA or Targa file. It's unlikely that you've got users supplying those, but yeah, that's been fixed there. 
uh, Python was updated for an X XML external entity issue when parsing uh, XML plist files. Uh, the fix in this case was to reject entity declarations in plist files, so you couldn't include them at all. Uh, and that's actually consistent with the behavior in Apple's PLUtil tool as well, so that shouldn't cause any overt regressions. Grub was updated for 10 CVEs. So the last time I talked about Grub was back in episode 121, which was kind of the follow-up to the original boot hole vulnerabilities a few years ago. Uh, this is, I guess, the latest round of security updates for Grub. Um, these updates were actually published back in February uh, to the updates pocket in Ubuntu. So users have been running these for quite a while. They've now finally seen their way into the security pocket as a sort of standard security update. Now, the kind of issues here were uh, a bunch of out-of-bounds reads or writes through crafted image files because you can have Grub show you know, a nice graphical kind of boot selection menu there. They were found by Daniel Axons, I believe, through fuzzing. Uh, then there was an integer overflow uh, when parsing of crafted IP packets, again, leading to a buffer overflow. An out-of-bounds write when uh, handling crafted HTTP headers, uh, as well as a use after free in the Grub chain loader as well, and a bunch of others that were fixed as part of that. Uh, OpenDMARC, the open source implementation of the DMARC specification was updated for a couple of different issues again in some of our older releases, so 2004 LTS, 1804 and 1604. In this case, it was possible to inject uh, authentication results via a crafted domain name. Basically, there was a one byte heat buffer overflow as a result and you can therefore get uh, a single kind of null byte that you could write as a result of that and likely probably just crash and a denial of service, but you know, possible to kind of get code execution there. What else? Um, Sierra's was updated. I talked about this back in episode 199. And so now we've got the same updates going into two of our older releases. So 1804 and 1604 as part of Ubuntu Pro. Curl was updated again in some of our older releases. Uh, so the update that I talked about back in episode 203 is now available for our older releases as in Ubuntu Pro as well file the venerable utility for uh, trying to inspect what a file is and it will give you a nice little summary of you know, the content type and whatever else is there was updated for a stack based buffer overread uh, resulting again in a crash and denial of service that's for uh, Ubuntu 22.04 LTS uh, FLAC the audio decoding library was updated for 22.04 and 20.04 for a buffer overflow leading to a remote code execution or possible crash Cups was updated uh, for our more recent releases, so from 2004 LTS through to 2304. In this case, the default configuration failed to require authentication for the Cups get document operation, and that could then allow uh, other users to basically fetch print documents for, uh, for other people without uh, any kind of authentication. Uh, what else? .NET was updated uh, for denial of service and X509 certificate handling. Uh, Ruby Red Cloth was updated for a regular expression denial of service that could be triggered through a crafted HTML payload. What I thought was interesting when looking into this one is it was reported upstream. Uh, the upstream maintainer basically didn't respond at all to that bug report. Uh, some community members have jumped in then uh, to propose a fix. That's then been proposed as a PR upstream. Also has seen no uh, action upstream as well. So this isn't officially fixed upstream, but the fix is uh, very straightforward. So we have incorporated that into uh, Ruby Red Cloth in Ubuntu. And again, that goes all the way back to 16.04 and all the releases since. 
This is one of the rare occasions where we have deployed a fix that wasn't officially blessed by upstream. Usually we try to wait till the upstream merges a fix and uh, you know, they usually know their code base better and can write the most appropriate fix. But in this case, yeah, upstream just seemed to be missing in action. Um, but it also, I guess, demonstrates how we do try to maintain the software in Ubuntu, even if the upstream stops supporting it, whether that's officially or not. You know, th certain things like uh, Python uh, 2.7 uh, is going to have an end of life and we're going to keep supporting that or OpenSSL 1, things like that. So, yeah, we will keep um, supporting those, even though they're sort of officially end of life upstream. Uh, what else? And finally, we had an update for Curl. So a single CVE here for our most recent release, 2304. Curl uh, provides an API to access the headers from past HTTP responses, and so it stores those headers in memory, but it failed to limit how large that storage could be. As a result, a malicious server could basically send back a response with a really large header value uh, that could then uh, result in Curl running out of memory and causing it to crash and therefore denial of service against it. Uh, so the fix for this has just been to limit uh, to 300k to be the total uh, amount of headers per response. And they've done that because that's similar to how Chrome behaves and that feels pretty reasonable to me as well. Uh, and that is it for the week in security updates. So Andre is back again this week in the fourth part in his deep dive into recent cybersecurity research. In this case, he's looking at a paper about uh, CVSS scoring inconsistencies. So looking at the way that uh, CVEs are scored in terms of severity and how consistent or not that is. Uh, the paper is titled Shedding Light on CVSS Scoring Inconsistencies, a user-centric study on evaluating widespread security vulnerabilities. This is actually going to appear at the IEEE Symposium on Security and Privacy in uh, 2024, so next year. So yeah, it should be a pretty decent uh, paper. Essentially, what they're trying to do here is to answer the questions are CVSS evaluations consistent and which factors influence the CVSS assessments. So yeah, take it away Andre. Hey Alex, after discussing backdoors in federated learning, fuzzing and network intrusion detection systems, this episode will cover a topic that most cybersecurity professionals are aware of, the vulnerability severity scoring system CVSS. We will look at a study that was only published a month ago on Archive, shedding light on CVSS scoring inconsistencies, a user-centric study on evaluating widespread security vulnerabilities. Its goal is to analyze in a methodical manner how cybersecurity professionals assign CVSS scores to the vulnerabilities that they are researching. CVSS stands for Common Vulnerability Scoring System and it is a system for determining the severity of a vulnerability. It enables security experts to assign a number between 0 and 10, which can then be used in operational processes such as patch prioritization. It began as a study initiative of the National Infrastructure Advisory Council, which publicly revealed the first CVSS proposal on the Department of Homeland Security's website in February 2005. Furthermore, it is currently owned and administered by FIRST, a non-profit organization based in the United States, whose aim is to assist incident response teams worldwide. At the moment, the National Vulnerability Database, which is part of the National Institute of Standards and Technologies in the United States, is in charge of determining the CVSS score for each CVE issued by MITRE. There are a number of documents that define the scoring system. The first document is the specification, which defines the metrics, formulas, qualitative rating scales, and vector strings. 
Second, the user guide includes specific use cases, scoring guidelines, and the glossary of terms using both the specification and the user guide. The final pillar document is examples, which contain over 30 vulnerabilities as well as their CVSS assessments. The specification document defines three metrics group, each of which includes many metrics that describe the vulnerability. The first and the most common is the base metric group. It provides metrics for the fundamental aspects of the vulnerability, such as the attack vector, attack complexity, privileges necessary, user involvement, scope, and the three parts of the CIA triad, namely confidentiality, integrity, and availability. The second set is optional and environment-specific. Three of them correspond to the requirements of the elements included in the CIA triad, while the others are modified versions of the metrics from the base score. The last group is similarly optional and pertains to a certain point in time. Metrics for exploit code maturity, remediation level, and report confidence are included. Of these three, only the base metric is usually used, and the other two, environment and temporal, are generally ignored. After all of these metrics have been defined, vector strings, which describes the CVSS-based metric in an abbreviated form and corresponding scores can be calculated. The score can then be grouped into ranges of severity, ranging from none for a score of zero through low, medium, high, and critical. For example, a vulnerability is referred to as high severity if its score is between 7 and 8.9. For example, the CVSS score, which rated AVL, ACH, PRN, UIN, SC, CH, IH, AH is calculated to have a score of 8.1. With all of this theoretical knowledge, let's look at how this is used in practice to determine the severity of the well-known CVE 2014-0160 referred to as Heartbleed. In a nutshell, this vulnerability was that TLS and DTLS implementations for certain OpenSSL releases could not properly accept heartbeat extension packets, allowing a remote attacker to leak information from process memory. Because the vulnerable services that use OpenSSL are network-based, the attack vector is set to network. An attacker needs no privileges, no user interaction, and only needs to find the service listening port, hence the attack complexity is simple. The exploitation has no effect on the initial scope of the vulnerable component and is evaluated as high in terms of confidentiality, integrity, and availability because it may end in a complete compromise. Following the explanation of these criteria, the ratings are then entered into the CVSS formula to obtain the CVSS score for Heartbleed, which is 7.5. Despite the fact that the purpose of CVSS is to represent the severity of a vulnerability with a clearly determined number, the researchers stated that prior articles suggested that businesses use this metric for risk. The approach is incorrect because these are two distinct concepts. The risk may be regarded as a function of severity, likelihood, and other characteristics, depending on the risk assessment approach used. For example, hardly severity may be 7.5, but to a given organization that only has a single isolated server in their corporate infrastructure running a vulnerable version of OpenSSL, the risk could be considered to be low. The current paper examines the use of CVSS ratings by security professionals. 
We will first discuss the study structures, then the research questions and the researchers' conclusions about them, and finally the researchers' recommendations. The parts that follow will also include demographic information because it is necessary to understand the research setting and potential biases. The first stage of the research was completed in June 2020. The researchers met with three so-called discussion experts, which are InfoSec experts with approximately 10 years experience in the industry. They were all men between the ages of 30 and 50 with a master's or a PhD who worked for themselves or for international corporations. The discussions focused on the experts' typical working day, their CVSS experience and elements of CVSS and vulnerability types, namely CWEs, that frequently cause ambiguity or disagreement. Furthermore, they had selected 10 vulnerabilities to be investigated in an expert survey. Following the discussion, influencing factors and problematic vulnerabilities were extracted and selected for analysis, as were two drive-by downloads, a reflected and a stored XSS, one machine in the middle attack, one SQL injection, one banner disclosure, one missing HTTP-only flag, and another for flag security deficiency. The next stage was an online expert study that was conducted by the end of 2020 with 18 CVSS experts who use CVSS in their daily job. Their researchers proposed 10 vulnerabilities to be analyzed. The conclusions were that the number of examined vulnerabilities should be small, specifically four, and mostly context-independent in order to avoid labeling anything difficult to grasp. Furthermore, unlike prior research that preferred random vulnerability types, they chose widespread vulnerability types, namely those examined on a daily basis, as well as problematic metrics that usually result in discussions. Following the end of the preliminary investigation, they chose research subjects and the second round of vulnerabilities to be examined. The main study had 196 participants. Their average age was 38 years old and they were largely men from European countries such as Germany and the United Kingdom and the United States. They typically had superior studies and half considered themselves advanced or experts in CVSS V3.1, whilst 20% having little to no prior experience in CVSS. A follow-up survey with 59 people was conducted nine months following the primary survey. Participants examined four vulnerabilities, two from the main study and two novel ones. The purpose here was to estimate the consistency of the rating while remaining unaware that the vulnerabilities originated from the initial study. This is the timeline of how the study was carried out, but let's look at the research questions and the researchers' results. They first needed to ensure that metrics such as attack vector, user interaction and scope are consistently analyzed for some common vulnerability categories. A stored XSS as opposed to a reflected XSS does not require the user to visit a malicious URL. Although the user interaction metric is usually set to none, the official examples document stated that the value required should be used since the victim needs to navigate to a web page on a vulnerable site to trigger the vulnerability. Surprisingly, only 58% of those surveyed chose the correct answer. The second research question was whether security deficiencies could be assessed using CVSS. The official guideline is that if no damage happens, the severity should be set to zero. 
Regardless, security deficiencies such as banner disclosure or missing HTTP-only flags are typically assigned a CVSS score. The first may be thought to have an effect on confidentiality, but the second cannot be directly utilized. The majority of people believe they have a medium impact, with only 9.2% believing they have no impact. The third research question was to examine whether personal characteristics are connected with variations in CVSS ratings, as prior studies revealed that analyst experience led to improved accuracy. The researchers inquired about factors such as IT sector experience, frequency, and time required to execute CVSS assessments. According to the survey, 83% of participants use CVSS for severity, 56% for serious assessment procedures, and 59% for prioritization. The fourth research question examined the evaluator's attitude regarding CVSS and inquired if the CVSS framework is valuable to them. Three out of four people agreed. On the other side, half of the people thought the scores were inconsistent. Finally, the researchers examined if the CVSS ratings are consistent over time, that is, whether the scores given by a participant in the primary trial correspond to the scores given by the same individual in the follow-up study. In just nine months, an average of 40-47% of participants assessed the same vulnerabilities differently. The study finishes with suggestions for the non-profit organization first. The researchers propose explicit rules correcting observed disparities and re-evaluating measures that are not well understood in the community, such as changed scope. We've seen what the CVSS scoring is for and how it's calculated based on metrics and metrics groups. As the academic community observed that the system can be misused to determine the priority of a vulnerability, the researchers used a solid approach to answer several research questions such as whether problematic metrics are well understood, whether the same security professional assesses the same severity for a vulnerability over a period of several months, and whether CVSS is used only for severity or for other processes such as prioritization. If you want more information on how the Ubuntu security team prioritizes vulnerabilities, you can find this on the Ubuntu blog with the link in the show notes. As always, if you have a suggestion for a topic to be explored here, please email us at security at ubuntu.com. This concludes the fourth iteration of this section. I will now hand you over to Alex, who will continue our Ubuntu security podcast episode. Thanks for that, Andre. Okay, so the last thing that I wanted to look at this week was a recent blog post on the Ubuntu blog about Ubuntu updates, releases, and repositories, basically trying to explain how uh, updates work in Ubuntu, uh, how they then fit within the releases, and how they are structured within the various uh, repositories and the repos. Uh, This is written by Aaron Whitehouse. He's the Senior Public Cloud Enablement Director at Canonical. He basically leads the team that uh, drives all of Canonical's joint initiatives with the major public clouds. So every time I talk about uh, Ubuntu on a particular public cloud, uh, Aaron's probably got something to do with that. 
But yeah, it's a really good overview of how updates work, uh, describing things like the fact that we don't, uh, say, bring in whole new versions to do security updates. We backport fixes and the like. Uh, then goes into some, uh, I guess, intricacies about the way that the updates versus the security pockets work and the interaction between those. And then in general about how updates roll out as well. So yeah, if you get some time, uh, give that one a read. It's a really good overview of uh, pretty complicated stuff, but delivered in a really easy to understand and uh, yeah, well-managed way. All right, uh, and that brings us to the end of this week's episode. So thanks again for listening, everyone, for another week. Now, if you do want to get in contact with the team, not only can you do it through the usual methods, but the whole team will be at Linux Security Summit in Europe next week. Uh, They're all there at LSS Europe for uh, the couple days while it's on. They're going to be attending all the various talks, and you'll certainly be able to catch them, I'm sure, in the hallway track. Come up and ask any questions that you may have in person uh, for once. But if you can't do that, you'll always be able to email us at security.ubuntu.com, or you can come and hop into the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat, or we are on Mastodon at Ubuntu Security at fosterdon.org there. Uh, yeah, I'll be doing LSS EU virtually. The rest of the folks will be there in person. So definitely come and uh, say hi. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. All right, one other thing to note before I go too is that uh, next week will be the last podcast episode for a while. I'm going to be taking three weeks leave and won't be back in your feed until late in October, probably somewhere around the 20th. I expect we'll be back on the podcast in your feed. So look out for the Bondi Security Podcast then when we return. But yeah, I will be back with you all next week though for a final episode for a bit. Uh, But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.